Book Two, Chapter Sixteen of Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Book Two, Chapter Sixteen. Cestius sends Neapolitanus the tribune to see in what condition the affairs of the Jews were. Agrippa makes a speech to the people of the Jews that he may divert them from their intentions of making war with the Romans. 1. However, Florus contrived another way to oblige the Jews to begin the war, and sent to Cestius, and accused the Jews falsely of revolting from the Roman government, and imputed the beginning of the former fight to them, and pretended they had been the authors of that disturbance, wherein they were only the sufferers. Yet were not the governors of Jerusalem silent upon this occasion, but did themselves write to Cestius, as did Bernice also, about the illegal practices of which Florus had been guilty against the city, who, upon reading both accounts, consulted with his captains what he should do. Now some of them thought it was best for Cestius to go up with his army, either to punish the revolt, if it was real, or to settle the Roman affairs on a surer foundation, if the Jews continued quiet under them. But he thought it best himself to send one of his intimate friends beforehand, to see the state of affairs, and to give him a faithful account of the intentions of the Jews. Accordingly, he sent one of his tribunes, whose name was Neapolitanus, who met with King Agrippa as he was returning from Alexandria at Jamnia, and told him who it was that sent him, and on what errands he was sent. 2. And here it was that the high priests, and men of power among the Jews, as well as the Sanhedrim, came to congratulate the king upon his safe return and after they had paid him their respects, they lamented their own calamities, and related to him what barbarous treatment they had met with from Florus, at which barbarity Agrippa had great indignation, but transferred, after a subtle manner, his anger towards those Jews whom he really pitied, that he might beat down their high thoughts of themselves, and would have them believe that they had not been so unjustly treated, in order to dissuade them from avenging themselves." So these great men, as of better understanding than the rest, and desirous of peace, because of the possessions they had, understood that this rebuke which the king gave them was intended for their good. But as to the people, they came sixty furlongs out of Jerusalem, and congratulated both Agrippa and Neapolitanus. But the wives of those that had been slain came running first of all and lamenting. The people also, when they heard their mourning, fell into lamentations also, and besought Agrippa to assist them. They also cried out to Neapolitanus, and complained of the many miseries they had endured under Florus, and they showed them, when they were come into the city, how the market-place was made desolate and the houses plundered. They then persuaded Neapolitanus, by the means of Agrippa, that he would walk round the city with one only servant, as far as Siloam, that he might inform himself that the Jews submitted to all the rest of the Romans, and were only displeased at Florus, by reason of his exceeding barbarity to them. So he walked round, and had sufficient experience of the good temper the people were in, and then went up to the temple, where he called the multitude together, and highly commended them for their fidelity to the Romans, and earnestly exhorted them to keep the peace. And having performed such parts of divine worship at the temple as he was allowed to do, he returned to Cestius. 3. But as for the multitude of the Jews, they addressed themselves to the king and to the high priests, and desired they might have leave to send ambassadors to Nero against Florus, 
and not by their silence afford a suspicion that they had been the occasions of such great slaughters as had been made, and were disposed to revolt, alleging that they should seem to have been the first beginners of the war, if they did not prevent the report by showing who it was that began it. And it appeared openly that they should not be quiet, if anybody should hinder them from sending such an embassage. But Agrippa, although he thought it too dangerous a thing for them to appoint men to go as the accusers of Flores, yet did he not think it fit for them to overlook them, as they were in a disposition for war. He therefore called the multitude together into a large gallery, and placed his sister Bernice in the house of the Asamoneans, that she might be seen by them, which house was over the gallery at the passage to the upper city, where the bridge joined the temple to the gallery, and spake to them as follows. 4. Footnote. In this speech of King Agrippa we have an authentic account of the extent and strength of the Roman Empire when the Jewish war began, and this speech, with other circumstances in Josephus, demonstrate how wise and how great a person Agrippa was, and why Josephus elsewhere calls him a most wonderful or admirable man. He is the same Agrippa who said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, Acts 26.28, and of whom St. Paul said, He was an expert in all the customs and questions of the Jews. See another intimation of the limits of the same Roman Empire in Of the War. But what seems to me very remarkable here is this, that when Josephus, in imitation of the Greeks and Romans, for whose use he wrote his antiquities, did himself frequently he into their they appear, by the politeness of their composition, and their flights of oratory, to be not the real speeches of the persons concerned, who usually were no orators, but of his own elegant composure, the speech before us is of another nature, full of undeniable facts, and composed in a plain and unartful but moving way. So it appears to be King Agrippa's own speech, and to have been given Josephus by Agrippa himself, with whom Josephus had the greatest friendship. Nor may we omit Agrippa's constant doctrine here, that this vast Roman empire was raised and supported by divine providence, and that therefore it was in vain for the Jews, or any others, to think of destroying it. Nor may we neglect to take notice of Agrippa's solemn appeal to the angels here used, the like appeals to which we have in St. Paul, 1 Timothy 5.22, and by the apostles in general, in the form of the ordination of bishops. End footnote. Quote, had I perceived that you were all zealously disposed to go to war with the Romans, and that the purer and more sincere part of the people did not propose to live in peace, I had not come out to you, nor been so bold as to give you counsel. For all discourses that tend to persuade men to do what they ought to do are superfluous, when the hearers are agreed to do the contrary. But because some are earnest to go to war because they are young, and without experience of the miseries it brings, and because some are for it out of an unreasonable expectation of regaining their liberty, and because others hope to get by it, and are therefore earnestly bent upon it, that in the confusion of your affairs they may gain what belongs to those that are too weak to resist them, I have thought proper to get you all together, and to say to you what I think to be to your advantage, that so the former may grow wiser, and change their minds, and that the best men may come to no harm by the ill conduct of some others and let not any one be tumultuous against me, in case what they hear me say do not please them. For as to those who admit of no cure, but are resolved upon a revolt, it will still be in their power to retain the same sentiments after my exhortation is over. But still my discourse will fall to the ground, 
even with a relation to those who have a mind to hear me, unless you will all keep silence. I am well aware that many make a tragical exclamation concerning the injuries that have been offered you by your procurators, and concerning the glorious advantages of liberty. But before I begin the inquiry, who you are that must go to war, and who they are against whom you must fight, I shall first separate those pretenses that are by some connected together. For if you aim at avenging yourselves on those that have done you injury, why do you pretend this to be a war for recovering your liberty? But if you think all servitude intolerable, to what purpose serve your complaint against your particular governors? For if they treated you with moderation, it would still be equally an unworthy thing to be in servitude. Consider now the several cases that may be supposed, how little occasion there is for your going to war. Your first occasion is the accusations you have to make against your procurators. Now here you ought to be submissive to those in authority, and not give them any provocation. But when you reproach men greatly for small offenses, you excite those whom you reproach to be your adversaries. For this will only make them leave off hurting you privately, and with some degree of modesty, and to lay what you have waste openly. Now nothing so much damps the force of strokes as bearing them with patience, and the quietness of those who are injured diverts the injurious persons from afflicting. But let us take it for granted that the Roman ministers are injurious to you, and are incurably severe. Yet are they not all the Romans who thus injure you, nor hath Caesar, against whom you are going to make war, injured you. It is not by their command that any wicked governor is sent to you, for they who are in the west cannot see those that are in the east, nor indeed is it easy for them there even to hear what is done in these parts. Now it is absurd to make war with a great many for the sake of one, to do so with such mighty people for a small cause, and this when these people are not able to know of what you complain. Nay, such crimes as we complain of may soon be corrected, for the same procurator will not continue for ever, and probable it is that the successors will come with more moderate inclinations. But as for war, if it be once begun, it is not easily laid down again, nor borne without calamities coming therewith. However, as to the desire for recovering your liberty, it is unseasonable to indulge it so late whereas you ought to have labored earnestly in old time that you might never have lost it. For the first experience of slavery was hard to be endured, and the struggle that you might never have been subject to it would have been just. But that slave who hath been once brought into subjection, and then runs away, is rather a refractory slave than a lover of liberty. For it was then the proper time for doing all that was possible, that you might never have admitted the Romans into your city, when Pompey came first into the country. But so it was that our ancestors and our kings, who were in much better circumstances than we are, both as to money and strong bodies, and valiant souls, did not bear the onset of a small body of the Roman army. And yet you, who have now accustomed yourselves to obedience from one generation to another, and who are so much inferior to those who first submitted, in your circumstances will venture to oppose the entire empire of the Romans, while those Athenians, who, in order to preserve the liberty of Greece, did once set fire to their own city, who pursued Xerxes, that proud prince, when he sailed upon the land and walked upon the sea, and could not be contained by the seas, but conducted such an army as was too broad for Europe, and made him run away like a fugitive in a single ship, and break so great a part of Asia at the lesser Salamis. 
are yet at this time servants to the Romans, and those injunctions which are sent from Italy become laws to the principal governing city of Greece. Those Lacedaemonians also who got the great victories at Thermopylae and Plataea, and had Agisilus for their king, and searched every corner of Asia, are contented to admit the same lords. Those Macedonians also, who still fancy what great men their Philip and Alexander were, and see that the latter had promised them the empire over the world, these bear so great a change, and pay their obedience to those whom fort moreover ten thousand other nations there are, who had greater reason than we to claim their entire liberty, and yet do submit. You are the only people who think it a disgrace to be servants to those to whom all the world hath submitted. What sort of an army do you rely on? What are the arms you depend on? Where is your fleet that may seize upon the Roman seas? And where are those treasures which may be sufficient to your undertakings? Do you suppose, I pray you, that you are to make war with the Egyptians and with the Arabians? Will you not carefully reflect upon the Roman Empire? Will you not estimate your own weakness? Hath not your army been often beaten even by your neighboring nations, while the power of the Romans is invincible in all parts of the habitable earth? Nay, rather they seek for somewhat still beyond that, for all Euphrates is not a sufficient boundary for them on the east side, nor the Danube on the north, and for their southern limit Libya hath been searched over by them as far as countries uninhabited, as is Cades their limit on the west. Nay, indeed, they have sought for another habitable earth beyond the ocean, and have carried their arms as far as such British islands as were never known before. What, therefore, do you pretend to? Are you richer than the Gauls, stronger than the Germans, wiser than the Greeks, more numerous than all men upon the habitable earth? What confidence is it that elevates you to oppose the Romans? Perhaps it will be said, it is hard to endure slavery. Yes, but how much harder this is to the Greeks, who are esteemed the noblest of all people under the sun. These, though they inhabit in a large country, are in subjection to six bundles of Roman rods. It is the same case with the Macedonians, who have juster reason to claim their liberty than you have. What is the case of five hundred cities of Asia? Do they not submit to a single governor, and to the consular bundle of rods? What need I speak of the Henlochi, and Colchi, and the nation of Tari, those that inhabit the Bosporus, and the nations about Pontus, and Maeotis, who formerly knew not so much as a lord of their own, but are now subject to three thousand armed men, and where forty long ships keep the sea in peace, which before was not navigable, and very tempestuous. How strong a plea may Bithynia and Cappadocia, and the people of Pamphylia, the Lycians, and Sicilians, put in for liberty! But they are made tributary without an army. What are the circumstances of the Thracians, whose country extends in breadth five days' journey, and in length seven, and is of a much more harsh constitution, and much more defensible than yours, and by the rigor of its cold, sufficient to keep off armies from attacking them? Do not they submit to two thousand men of the Roman garrisons? Are not the Illyrians, who inhabit the country adjoining, as far as Dalmatia and the Danube, governed by barely two legions? By which also they put a stop to the incursions of the Danes. And for the Dalmatians, who have made such frequent insurrections in order to regain their liberty, and who could never before be so thoroughly subdued, but that they always gathered their forces together again, revolted, yet they are now very quiet under one Roman legion. Moreover, if eat disadvantages might provoke any people to revolt, 
the gulls might do it best of all, as being so thoroughly walled around by nature. On the east side by the Alps, on the north by the river Rhine, on the south by the Pyrenean mountains, and on the west by the ocean. Now although these gulls have such obstacles before them to prevent any attack upon them, and have no fewer than three hundred and five nations among them, nay have, as one may say, the fountains of domestic happiness within themselves, and send out plentiful streams of happiness over almost the whole world, these bear to be tributary to the Romans, and derive their prosperous condition from them. And they undergo this, not because they are of effeminate minds, or because they are of an ignoble stock, as having borne a war of eighty years in order to preserve their liberty, but by reason of the great regard they have to the power of the Romans, and their good fortune which is of greater efficacy than their arms. These Gauls, therefore, are kept in servitude by twelve hundred soldiers, which are hardly so many as are their cities. Nor hath the gold dug out of the mines of Spain been sufficient for the support of a war to preserve their liberty, nor could their vast distance from the Romans by land and sea do it, nor could the martial tribes of the Lusitanians and Spaniards escape, nor more could the ocean with its tide, which yet was terrible to the ancient inhabitants. Nay, the Romans have extended their arms beyond the pillars of Hercules, and have walked among the clouds upon the Pyrenean mountains, and have subdued these nations. And one legion is a sufficient guard for these people, although they were so hard to be conquered, and at a distance so remote from Rome. Who is there among you that hath not heard of the great number of the Germans? You have, to be sure, yourselves seen them to be strong and tall, and that frequently, since the Romans have them among their captives everywhere. Yet these Germans, who dwell in an immense country, who have minds greater than their bodies, and a soul that despises death, and who are in rage more fierce than wild beasts, have the Rhine for the boundary of their enterprises, and are tamed by eight Roman legions. Such of them as were taken captive became their servants, and the rest of the entire nation were obliged to save themselves by flight. Do you also, who depend on the walls of Jerusalem, consider what a wall the Britons had? For the Romans sailed away to them, and subdued them while they were encompassed by the ocean, and inhabited an island that is not less than the continent of this habitable earth, and four legions are a sufficient guard to so large an island. And why should I speak much more about this matter, while the Parthians, that most warlike body of men, and lords of so many nations, and encompassed with such mighty forces, sent hostages to the Romans, whereby you may see, if you please, even in Italy, the noblest nation of the East, under the notion of peace, submitting to serve them. Now when almost all people under the sun submit to the Roman arms, will you be the only people that make war against them? And this without regarding the fate of the Carthaginians, who, in the midst of their brags of the, and the nobility of their Phoenician original, fell by the hand of Scipio. Nor indeed have the Cyrenians, derived from the Lacedaemonians, nor the Marmaridite, a nation extended as far as the regions uninhabitable for want of water, nor have the Syrtes, a place terrible to such as barely hear it described, the Nasamans and Moors, and the immense multitude of the Numidians, been able to put a stop to the Roman valor. And as for the third part of the habitable earth, Africa, whose nations are so many that it is not easy to number them, and which is bound by the Atlantic Sea and the pillars of Hercules, and feeds an innumerable multitude of Ethiopians as far as the Red Sea, these have the Romans subdued entirely. 
and besides the annual fruits of the earth, which maintain the multitude of the Romans for eight months in the year, this, over and above, pays all sorts of tribute, and affords revenues suitable to the necessities of the government. Nor do they, like you, esteem such injunctions a disgrace to them, although they have but one Roman legion that abides among them. And indeed what occasion is there for showing you the power of the Romans over remote countries, when it is so easy to learn it from Egypt in your neighborhood? This country is extended as far as the Ethiopians, and Arabia the happy, and borders upon India. It hath seven millions five hundred thousand men, besides the inhabitants of Alexandria, as may be learned from the revenue of the poll tax. Yet it is not ashamed to submit to the Roman government, although it hath Alexandria as a grand temptation to a revolt, by reason it is so full of people and of riches, and is besides exceeding large, its length being thirty furlongs, and its breadth no less than ten. And it pays more tribute to the Romans in one month than you do in a year. Nay, besides what it pays in money, it sends corn to Rome, that supports it for four months in the year. It is also walled around on all sides, either by almost impassable deserts, or seas that have no havens, or by rivers, or by lakes. Yet have none of these things been found too strong for the Roman good fortune. However, two legions that lie in that city are a bridle both for the remoter parts of Egypt, and for the parts inhabited by the more noble Macedonians. Where then are all these people whom you are to have for your auxiliaries? Must they come from the parts of the world that are uninhabited? For all that are in the habitable earth are under the Romans." unless any of you extend his hopes as far as beyond the Euphrates, and suppose that those of your own nation that dwell in Adiabene will come to your assistance, but certainly these will not embarrass themselves with an unjustifiable war, nor, if they should follow such ill advice, will the Parthians permit them to do so. For it is their concern to maintain the truce that is between them and the Romans, and they will be supposed to break the covenants between them, if any under their government march against the Romans." What remains, therefore, is this, that you have recourse to divine assistance, but this is already on the side of the Romans, for it is impossible that so vast an empire should be settled without God's providence. Reflect upon it, how impossible it is for your zealous observations of your religious customs to be here preserved, which are hard to be observed even when you fight with those whom you are able to conquer, and how can you then most of all hope for God's assistance, when, by being forced to transgress his law, you will make him turn his face from you. And if you do observe the custom of the Sabbath days, and will not be revealed on to do anything thereon, you will easily be taken, as were your forefathers by Pompey, who was the busiest in his siege on those days in which the besieged rested. But if in time of war you transgress the law of your country, I cannot tell on whose account you will afterward go to war. For your concern is but one, that you do nothing against any of your forefathers. And how will you call upon God to assist you when you are voluntarily transgressing against his religion? Now all men that go to war do it either as depending on divine or on human assistance. But since your going to war will cut off both these assistances, those that are for going to war choose evident destruction. What hinders you from slaying your children and wives with your own hands and burning this most excellent native city of yours? for by this mad prank you will, however, escape the reproach of being beaten. But it were best, O oh my friends, it were best, while the vessel is still in the haven, to foresee the impending storm, and not to set sail out of the port into the middle of the hurricanes. 
for we justly pity those who fall into great misfortunes without foreseeing them. But for him who rushes into manifest ruin, he gains reproaches instead of commiseration. But certainly no one can imagine that you can enter into a war as by agreement, or that when the Romans have got you under their power, they will use you with moderation, or will not rather, for an example to other nations, burn your holy city, and utterly destroy your whole nation. For those of you who shall survive the war will not be able to find a place whither to flee, since all men have the Romans for their lords already, or are afraid they shall have hereafter. Nay, indeed, the danger concerns not those Jews that dwell here only, but those of them which dwell in other cities also. For there is no people upon the habitable earth which have not some portion of you among them, whom your enemies will slay in case you go to war, and on that account also. And so every city which hath Jews in it will be filled with slaughter for the sake of a few men, and they who slay them will be pardoned. But if that slaughter be not made by them, consider how wicked a thing it is to take arms against those that are so kind to you. Have pity, therefore, if not on your children and wives, yet upon this your metropolis and its sacred walls. Spare the temple and preserve the holy house with its holy furniture for yourselves. For if the Romans get you under their power, they will no longer abstain from them when their former abstinence shall have been so ungratefully requited. I call to witness your sanctuary and the holy angels of God and this country common to us all, that I have not kept back anything that is for your preservation. And if you will follow that advice which you ought to do, you will have that peace which will be common to you and to me. But if you indulge your passions, you will run those hazards which I shall be free from. 5. When Agrippa had spoken thus, both he and his sister wept, and by their tears repressed a great deal of the violence of the people. But still they cried out that they would not fight against the Romans, but against Florus, on account of what they had suffered by his means. To which Agrippa replied, that what they had already done was like such as make war against the Romans. For you have not paid the tribute which is due to Caesar. Footnote. Julius Caesar had decreed that the Jews of Jerusalem should pay an annual tribute to the Romans, excepting the city Joppa, and for the sabbatical year. And footnote. And you have cut off the cloisters of the temple from joining to the tower Antonia. You will therefore prevent any occasion of revolt if you will but join these together again, and if you will but pay your tribute. For the citadel does not now belong to Florus, nor are you to pay the tribute money to Florus. End of Book 2, Chapter 16